This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 64. Careers are, are no longer linear. They're not static anymore. They're not that rigid. They become much more multidimensional, much more fluid, much more dynamic. So whereas in the past, people would work only for one or two companies, maybe, or one or two industries, now people have to be used to changing more frequently, more often, and make those shifts. And our observation is that many people are not ready and prepared for those shifts. What does it mean to have career agility? And how can you build this important skill? Why is career management both an art and a science? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guests this week are Claire Harbour and Antoine Tiard. Claire Harbour is a coach and global talent expert, the founder of Culture Pearl, and a speaker, consultant, and writer about all things having to do with optimizing talent across borders. Her career spanned 17 countries, eight languages, and a range of industries and roles, including general management and strategy consulting. Today, Claire works with leaders individually and in teams to help them boost their performance. And she's known for seeing what others do not see and saying what others do not dare say. Antoine is a talent management advisor and founder of Next Talent. He's also the former head of talent management at Novartis and LVMH, and he consults with global companies in the areas of talent management, leadership development, transformation and change, and does executive coaching. He's also co-authored three books on careers, talent assessments, and human resources management, and speaks frequently at international HR and talent management conferences. Claire and Antoine also have written a terrific book called Disrupt Your Career, How to Navigate Uncharted Career Transitions and Thrive and co-host their popular Disrupt Your Career podcast. And if you've not listened to Disrupt Your Career podcast, I recommend you check it out as it is a great resource for ideas and inspiration on career development. I can say that because I've been a guest and also a frequent listener. I learned a lot in my conversation with Claire and Antoine, and I know you will as well, as we discussed the three key trends that are driving a new career paradigm, what they've learned in researching successful career transitions, how to leverage their 4E career framework to find the right role for you, why career agility is so important and how to build this important skill, why career management is both an art and a science, and what companies in HR can do to better support career development and much more. Claire, Antoine, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. Thank you for being here today. We are thrilled to be here. Thanks for for having having us. us. We're excited to have both of you here. You both have had great careers, but also have really been studying career transitions and what disrupts people's careers. And so having both of you on the podcast is just timely and I was excited about this conversation in general. And I want to start off to hear a little bit more about your careers. You're both experienced executive coaches. You have a deep passion for people, helping people to navigate their careers successfully. And where did this passion for helping people with their careers come from? Maybe let's start with you, Claire. Thank you. My story is that I grew up dazed and confused from a very early age. I grew up in two different countries, 
if not three, and with three different languages and cultures around me. By definition, I was very interested in how other people function, what makes them tick, their stories, and that kind of thing. I spent most of my childhood planning to be a journalist because I really was interested in story, and I felt that that was the way that I was going to convert this interest into a reality of a career. I got all the way through university. I was filling in my application form to go and join the BBC when I realized that I cry when I see people saying goodbye to each other at stations and that that's not an ideal sort of mindset to be taking to war zones. With all that beautiful strategy that I had put into place about becoming a journalist, I realized that actually I hadn't figured out my values and my personality and all that kind of thing to go with it. So I stomped my foot, went off and became a business person instead. But what was interesting was that although I did that with the immaturity of a 22-year-old, what I ended up with was taking one experience that I'd been looking for, the excitement of redressing injustice and going to war zones, and replacing it with another experience, which was not so far off because it was about going very far away. I went and worked in Hong Kong and then the Philippines and then Thailand and created a very, very international career, which in many respects mirrored much of the experience I would have had as a journalist. But it was a bit safer and I cried less. That was how I started something that was pretty haphazard at the beginning. It's very much worth my and the audience remembering that you can be pretty haphazard with your career at the beginning and you won't die and you can still be successful. This fascination that I had with story took me through all of the work I've ever done simply because what I found is that despite never having had a job or title that began with the words human resources, I've always been interested in the people part of the business. So whether it's about figuring out team motivations or individual growth or whatever. I've been interested in looking at individual talents and figuring out how they're developing in an organization, but also how they're developing individually. That led me actually quite naturally as I left the corporate general management world and went first into strategy consulting and then into coaching. It's been a very natural progression because I've always had the person, the individual at the heart of whatever I do. That's how I got here. We'll tell you more in a little while about how we got together to focus on career. Antoine, why don't you give us your story? Where did I get that deep passion for helping people navigate their career? I would say it started with my own personal story. When I was a young adult, finishing high school and starting university, I have to say I was pretty clueless about what I wanted to do. Basically, I wanted to be a guitarist in a rock band, but then I realized it was pretty hopeless, and I started to become a bit more serious. And then I had a bit of an aha moment, and I met with a number of professionals who talked to me about HR, and I felt, yes, that's the thing for me. I think I'm going to enjoy myself working in HR. So I moved from clueless to more deliberate. And from then on, I built my career in human resources and talent management. At the same time, I was also fascinated when I observed friends, family. I was always curious about why do people take different paths in their professional lives and are they realizing their potential? I built my career in HR. I worked for 20 years in large global companies. And obviously, when you do that, talent management, leadership development is at the core of HR. So I had this really interest in, in career. When I moved and transitioned myself as a coach and talent management consultant, a big part of my work is to help people find their true purpose 
find the careers that would make them fulfilled and really take ownership of their career. So for me, this helping people navigate has always been a, an important theme. I really enjoy to contribute in that area. Well, it's so interesting because I think a lot of us in, who do find HR and find that passion, we start other places, right? With journalists being so curious about others and telling stories makes a lot of sense, Claire. And then I love Antoine that you went from rock star to HR, kind of talent rock star in that way. That passion is has come through not only in your podcast, but in your collaboration. And tell us more about, Claire, you mentioned this, but how did you guys meet in, in this partnership form around Well, it's, it's a strange story and full of many of the things that we talk about in our work, actually. We're both from the same business school. We're actually the same age, but we did our MBA five years apart. So we didn't meet at that stage. But our school's pretty good at getting alumni to be in touch with each other. So we were both kind of on each other's radar without much else other than, yeah, I mean, we had a couple of professional experiences and a company in common in the past. So there was stuff that made it obvious that one day we might encounter each other, but we didn't live in the same country. We weren't doing exactly the same thing. Our first contact was a pure business transactional contact. I was working for company A, Antoine was working for company B. Company A wanted to sell something to the head of talent at company B. So guess what? I got to call Antoine and say, hey, do you want to buy this thing that we want to sell? And he was very kind. And he said, well, why don't we meet, have lunch and talk about it? So we met, had lunch and talked about it. And net result was we didn't sell the thing. But Antoine and I had a connection made. And as good networkers who value the relationship, not just the transaction that we were trying to do, we stayed in touch. A few years later, a bit more networking was going on. A friend of mine was working on behalf of a friend of hers who had got into a big job drama and really needed a job fast. And I sent out an email to a few trusted contacts, one of whom was Antoine, saying, does anyone have a job for this woman? And he very kindly picked up the phone and said, I don't think so, but why don't we have a chat about it anyway? And during that chat, not only did we not find a job for the lady in question, but what was interesting was that we were able to start talking about the fact that Antoine had noticed that I had begun some more public writing rather than my own private scribblings and asked me if I would be interested in beginning to do some writing together. We started that in a, in a fairly simple and transactional way over 10 years ago now. That was more then driven by Antoine having an idea and Claire getting her computer keyboard out and sort of executing and reflecting and researching on that idea. And little by little, we realized that we were both fascinated by career transitions and the stories thereof. We started writing articles about different types of career transitions, typically relatively unusual ones, relatively uncharted ones. And indeed, eventually, we came to the idea that we would write a book summarizing some of the themes we were coming across in uncharted career transitions. And that's how, in the end, we agreed, with a bit of disagreement along the way, inevitably, about the fact that we would create a book which we did publish in 2017, called Disrupt Your Career. We've had a lot of fun along the way, and we've continued to do all kinds of stuff since the book, and Antoine's going to tell you about that. The question of career transitions, career shifts, career changes is endless. And so we always find new cases of career changes to talk about and write about. So we basically continued to do that after publishing the book. We also expanded our franchise. We created the Disrupt Your Career podcast. We are now close to having had 
50 episodes, so we're very pleased with that. And the idea of the podcast is simply to continue the conversation on career and career change and talent management. We invite thought leaders, practitioners who can share their insights, their learnings on the topic, and that includes yourself, Indeed. JP. And thanks again for having been a, a great guest. We also created an e-learning program around building career agility. And like I said, we continue to write articles. So far, we've covered 30 different cases of transitions. We're very pleased with the fact that now we collaborate with faculty from INSEAD whenever we publish articles on the INSEAD knowledge. So we have a great combination of the, the story-based view, practitioner's view, with this sort of deep academic research. Always new ideas and projects, and it will continue because career reinvention and transition is, is endless. It really is. And I think what's great about your partnership is that you didn't just stop at the book with the basic career transitions that we all think about, right? The promotion, the new role in a new company, or maybe the team member that now becomes the manager. As I've looked through the book and read it, most of the book, I didn't get all of it, I have to say, but I got most of it in preparation. You really cover some transitions that a lot of people really haven't thought of, but that would be very helpful for people who are going through those transitions because it feels like uncharted territory for someone who's going through some of the ones you describe. And, and you talk a little about in the book that really there's a new career paradigm that's taking shape. And just tell us more about kind of why you said that and, and what's this look like in 2023? Yeah, I think this idea of the new career paradigm is we're basically we're moving away from traditional careers where typically the story was get a good degree, enter a great company, stay with that company as long as possible. And then ultimately retire, spend some time on the golf course and so forth and be happy. Well, this model is over. We think that. Careers are, are no longer linear. They're not static anymore. They're not that rigid. They become much more multidimensional, much more fluid, much more dynamic. So whereas in the past, people would work only for one or two companies, maybe, or one or two industries. Now people have to be used to changing more frequently, more often, and make those shifts. And our observation is that many people are not ready and prepared for those shifts. To your question, JP, about what it looks like now in 2023, we think the pace of career change will continue. What we're observing as well is attitude toward work, work is also changing. There's less loyalty, more freedom, more choices, and therefore for organization retention becomes a, a bigger issue. Another big trend, which I'm sure you've observed, is the change of employment relationship. The paradigm was employment contract. That was the standard. Now, you probably know that 20% of workforce now is in the US and in key markets in Europe are what you might call people in the gig economy, contractors, consultants, and so forth. So that is changing as well. And then, of course, the big impact on technology, including the increase of use of AI, it's accelerating the change of jobs. You may know this quote from the World Economic Forum that says that 60% of children who are entering primary school today will end up working in completely new jobs, jobs that don't even exist today. So the bottom line is, you know, based on those trends and this new career paradigm, people need to be ready for changing careers more often. And the impact is you need to take care of your own career. Nobody else is going to take care of it. Therefore, you need to be strategic in managing your career organizing a network, having advisors and supporters, that's your responsibility. Well, I think just that fact, that stat around 60% of the jobs have not been created yet, which I think we've seen, 
But with AI, I think it feels even more oh, real yeah. now than it had in the past, right? We've always heard those stats that jobs are being created, but now it's, I think no one really can predict what it's going to look like. But you did talk about the people aren't really prepared for this. Talk a little bit more about why we're not prepared or what do we have to do to start to get prepared for these constant changes in sure. our career. So net result of not being prepared is that you end up flipping and flopping from one position to another, whether in or outside the same company or industry in a more random way. Sometimes it can work out just fine, but there can be misjudgment involved and there can be regret involved. Sometimes that's something you recognize on day one when you show up at the new job. Sometimes it's more insidious and takes a while. I think one thing to say, first of all, is that although that's not necessarily a beautiful outcome, it's also not necessarily career suicide. There are all kinds of ways to recover from a less than perfect choice in terms of career strategy. There should be no berating of oneself if one makes a, a mistake along the way. It's not quite as drastic a mistake as marrying the wrong person. Though we do see a lot of parallels joking apart between the way people choose their life partners and the way people choose their careers and the goods and bads thereof. What's really key is that you know yourself, that we know ourselves when we're making our career decisions, as in making our life decisions. If we really have developed self-awareness about who we are, what we're good at, what our values are, what our context is, what our needs are, then we're able to build a much more clear picture of what our own sweet spot is in terms of what we should be doing and for whom and where and how and all those good things. It's a really basic skill, but it's one that's often not particularly valued. It's not necessarily taught in schools. It's not necessarily encouraged in workplaces, but it's not just the woo-woo side of mindfulness and, and self-awareness. It's not just meditating. It's really looking deep within to see who we are. And if we're not too good at that ourselves, we've got friends and family who can probably tell us exactly where our strengths and weaknesses lie and also perhaps elicit some of the things about personal values and how those might align in the workplace. There's another aspect, which is the question of as you flip and flop, or you go on your very strategic path or somewhere in between. There's a trend or a tendency for us, if we don't think about it too much, to be going in a direction of moving away from something we didn't like, as opposed to moving towards something that we cherish and where we'll fit and where we'll thrive. So that notion of how we're moving and the energy attached to that is really rather important. And another way to think about it is if you've got an opportunity coming, you're considering taking it, is your answer to the opportunity, why not or why? The why is going to elicit a more profound connection, which sends good and promising signals as to how things might work out. The why not is kind of, oh, somebody gave me this piece of food on a plate, so I'll just eat it because it's here. We don't particularly encourage that kind of why not thinking, even though sometimes it can be useful or it can be a stopgap. One of the things we've done in our work is create a really simple model, which we call the four E's for MBAs. So of course, the model had to have letters and numbers. The very brief description is that the four E's are explore, experiment, engage, and expand. Now, those describe a full cycle of how anybody would go through thinking about what they might like to do and who they are 
getting some experience with it, whether that's just dipping in or going in wholeheartedly. And the engage and expander really once you're in a new role and how you develop that and move on to the next one. We're all on that cycle, on that wheel, if you like, in at least one place and sometimes more than one. We're not going to go into the detail of that today. But what's important is think of that all the time. Where am I? Am I exploring? Am I experimenting? Should I be somewhere else on the wheel as well as where I am by default? And what can I do about that? Lastly, when you're making choices and when you're thinking about, do I take this or not? Or do I look in that direction or not? Be very aware of organizational culture and values and how aligned those things are with you and your own value and culture, because it's very easy to choose based on technical issues. Oh, they need somebody who can do A, B, and C. Oh, I can do A, B, and C, therefore I'll go there. If you haven't checked the rest, it's going to be a completely random question as to whether you survive and thrive there. A lot to unpack there, Claire. I think so many great comments. And I love the idea of the why or why not. And then obviously in your 4E model, if I summarize a little bit, for a lot of us, we need to have kind of a goal. We need to know who we are and what we're really trying to accomplish, where we think we'll be successful. But then how we get there, we have to be more flexible now, but probably spend more time really engaging and exploring before we make these big choices. There's probably more opportunities we've ever had with LinkedIn and people responding and coming out to us and there's different gig economies and I can go be a consultant, I can do this, right? There's lots of opportunities for people. But if you don't know where your North Star is, if you don't know your values, you can make some tough choices. You guys have talked about there's some factors that can lead to someone misjudging their career and having that regret. But what are the other factors? Are there other factors we should be thinking about as we evaluate those career choices? If someone's got maybe an opportunity coming up, like right now, what are the things that you say they should be asking themselves before they take that opportunity? I would go back to Claire's point about uh, being very aware of the organization culture, and you really need to do your due diligence around it, because obviously companies are going to show the good things during the interview. So you want to talk to people, engage your network, and ask, what is it really like to work in company A or company B? Choosing your boss, it's a classic, but it's important. While you're being interviewed and they are evaluating you as a candidate, ask yourself, am I willing to work for this person? Are they going to be supporting of my career? It always goes back to the sweet spot thing. Is this position going to leverage my strengths, my talent? Is it in line with my values and interests? Is it going to be a good mix of building on these strengths so I can deliver, but at the same time, stretch me enough to continue to learn? I think if you have all of these elements in place in some form some equilibrium, then you're in good shape. You know what the most telling thing, and those, those are great tips, Antoine, is that we didn't say, how much money are you going to make? What's your job title? Those nope, are basics. Right? But a lot yeah. of us, we've all been there, they're basics. But if you're focusing on those things, you're focused on the wrong areas when you think Absolutely. about your career. Compensation right? is a consequence of the job level and job impact. And if you trust the organization, they should offer you the right compensation. And I say that because early in our career, and a lot of times we have next generation HR leaders who are listening that are really focused on getting that promotion, getting the title, making mm -hmm. a little bit more money. And you can lose sight of, did you pick the right boss? Is it the right culture? Is the work interesting? Is there a career path? Will I be happy there in three mm -hmm. years, two years, et cetera? So really great trips. Let's talk a little bit more about career transitions because they are really important and they're really challenging. 
In your experience and your research, what are some of the most common transitions and what are some of the most challenging transitions that people face in their career? The first thing to say is that career transitions, big or small, are really important to anybody embarking on or in the middle of a career these days because there are going to be a lot of them. It's back to that old paradigm. There's no longer the linear career at IBM with the golf course at the end of it. We've both changed career a lot. You have. The people younger than us are going to be changing even more. Just in terms of importance and the impact a series of career transitions can have on an individual and a family's life is enormous. Now, of those bigger or smaller transitions, you might make fairly big transition within your own company. You might shift from being an accounting analyst to being a marketing researcher, taking technical skills with you on a change of mindset. You might do something as radical as some of the people we've looked at in our research, such as having a career in the army and then going and working in the hotel industry or being an Olympic athlete and trying to figure out what your place is once your your bones are tired and you're no longer going to be collecting gold medals. The size of career shifts can vary enormously. It's not necessarily because of the size, the actual scale, that it's more or less difficult, but what is important is that you always keep in mind this set of values and abilities and all of those things that we've talked about already, and you be practicing, thinking about them. That's going to create what we call your career agility. We use the word agility in a very specific way, just like the sort of sportive agility of having strong muscles and going to the gym. So what we believe in a very simple sense is if you're going to have a good career in which you are in charge of how well those transitions go, then you're going to need to be flexing and stretching and strengthening those career agility muscles, just like we should be flexing, stretching and strengthening our physical muscles. We created a little model called the six C's of career agility success. And Antoine is going to tell us a little bit more about what those look like. These six C's, as we call them, these are the, think about it as a meta skills or superpowers that will help you navigate frequent and sometimes radical career transitions. And these include things like commitment, control, curiosity, change agility, connections, and confidence. So you can ask yourself when it comes to your career, commitment, are you committed? Are you focused? Are you engaged in the process of managing your careers? Some people do, others don't. Do you feel in control? Do you feel in control over your career? Do you take responsibility for building it as opposed to others doing it for you? Curiosity is quite key, especially given what we talked about, the, the rapid changes in the world of work. The question there is, in what ways do you explore the world of work? Are you seeking information about new careers, new roles, new skills, new requirements? Change agility is obviously key. We've seen in our research, some people have greater ability to change. Some people cope better in adversity and can reinvent themselves quicker. The fifth C, which is connection, is so important. It's all about your connections. How do you build your network? How do you meet new people? How do you nurture your current network? And how does your network help you in making decisions in your career? And then confidence. We're not equal there. Some people have more confidence than others. The key question here is, do you have faith in your ability to make and carry out wise career decisions or realistic choices? So we think by 
Developing those six C's, like Claire said, these are muscles. If you have a good development plan, it will help you uh, navigate those career changes. I love the six C's. Really helpful for each person who's listening to think that through. They really are so important to have all those in unison. So thank you for sharing that. I want to talk a little bit about the podcast. You've had a podcast for a little while now. You said 50 episodes, 50 great conversations with people about how they've navigated their career transitions. What are some of the key learnings you've had from those interviews and what surprised you most? We've had a lot of insights on career management. We seek the company of thought leaders in talent and career management. So we never know when somebody's coming on what well, we do because we've done our research. We don't pick people because they had a checkered or varied career. But what we do find is that just like everybody else, many of our guests started their career in somewhat serendipitous ways, but of course they found their career direction. We've noticed that finding meaning in career is really important, being sure of and developing our sense of our purpose and our values and how they can show up in our work. Willing to explore and experiment as we've sort of advocated is crucial to success. And having career conversations plays a role as well in the success of almost anyone who's doing something well. We've also come to a big conclusion that career management is both an art and a science. It's not just one or the other. Of course, there are frameworks and tools. We've mentioned them today, but careers are also something that human beings do through experience, which is sometimes painful. This notion that in the end, we take ownership of the goods and the bads, that we reflect often and seek advice and support from others is pretty much universal where people are getting it right and coming and talking about it on the show. And maybe most surprising or concerning is the fact that we have been banging the drum ever since we started, and we weren't the first, around the fact that companies, organizations of different kinds are still behind when it comes to providing the right level of support to their employees on career management. So we're going to finish that particular answer on a slightly frustrated, negative tone, but of course, that means there's a massive opportunity for us all to be doing more work in this regard. I'm glad you brought that up. I think I would love to hear more about what you think companies can do, because I think we, there's a lot of companies we say, hey, career development is on you. Like you own your career. The manager will support you, but we don't really do a lot more. Some companies are doing a lot in this area and some are not doing that much. But what's your advice on how can they do more and add more value? Maybe I'll start with a couple of points. And I know Antoine will want to pick up too. Career conversations. It's so clear from all the stories that we pick up when we're writing our articles that most people in most companies get an annual review. They get some kind of formal structured process in which their performance is evaluated, but there usually isn't much input in formal or informal terms about how their careers might develop, about how their own desires to grow, to move, to to develop might be looked after. And what we do see is that in companies and situations where those conversations do happen, ideally in a regular but informal way, that's where people truly thrive. So on the one hand, it's about creating a culture in which not just the HR department, but every manager, anybody who's leading anybody should be creating time and space to make it important and valuable for conversations to be had about what might be next, what else could I do, or 
who should I go and hang out with to learn more about this or that thing that is important to me as, as an individual employee? And the other aspect that is still very much ignored, and I know that Antoine's going to talk a bit more about this later, is this idea of the talent pipeline, talent management, being rather stuck still in the idea of we need a new manager or director of this thing. We need them to have a shopping list of experience, and that must come from exactly the same thing. We're basically going to clone the previous person who occupied this position. And that's fine. It's safe. It mitigates risk, but it doesn't generate value. It doesn't generate new creativity. It doesn't generate anything really other than doing the same old thing for a long time. And we all know what people say about that. What we advocate is that companies open themselves more to people who don't necessarily have exactly that laundry list of experience, but who may well have been prolific career changers who've developed an ability to be resilient in the face of change, to learn fast, to adapt quickly, to be open to connecting and committing to whatever is being put in front of them, and generally to be looking at different sources of talent where those kinds of transitional or transition-driven changes are available in abundance. So those are just two things, but they're pretty crucial, and I think umbrellas for many others. And I know we're going to talk about what the ideal leader of people or, or HR should be doing. So let's perhaps go into more detail at that stage. Fully agree. Uh, lack of career conversations and uh, HR sometimes not being very creative or daring about uh, giving people some new assignments, wanting to tick all the boxes. I think there's also a question of sometimes career management is disconnected from the rest of the HR and talent management processes. Mm -hmm. I have witnessed examples where we would say, oh, we're doing the succession planning now. Here's a position. We want a CFO in Japan. We have a great candidate. We've identified her. And then when we talk to her, propose the job, we're learning that she's not mobile. That sort of things. If all of these things, all of these career conversations and the entire organization-wide talent review and succession planning process are well connected and integrated, then it works for the benefit of both the organization and the individuals. But then when it's disconnected, it's frustrating. Integration, I think, is also key in that aspect. Yeah, some really great points, especially on that integration and having a holistic view of the organization, the talent, and thinking about not only pipeline, but it being opening the aperture a little bit around who could do this role, because I think we do get a little bit locked into well, this is what that person's job was. They left. They were great. We need to find that exact same person versus looking for what are the core competencies, capabilities they have and bring to the table. Maybe the new perspective would actually be better, but we don't always have that conversation. And we're always minimizing risk, I think, in these choices, right? I think that's where maybe an innovative leader is more open to different people, different backgrounds, and might see that person as a better athlete, right? And look past some of the, maybe a blemish in someone's resume. So, I really want to get your perspective on if someone wants to be a CHRO or even a senior VP or VP of talent or whatever VP in HR, what advice would you give to that next generation HR leader on how to get there? I've worked 20 years in HR and uh, I'll tell you, I've seen a lot. I've seen great HR professionals and I've seen not so great HR professionals. So I, I have tons of advice. My first advice would be for a younger person aspiring to become a CHRO at some point. At the beginning, in particular, join a company where you will learn good HR. 
good HR practices. HR is a real profession and doing it or learning it in a proper environment is going to help you. So this would be my first advice. Then when it comes to building your career, I would say first, learn the basics of HR. These are the somehow the technical aspects. It might be employment law. It might be labor relations, which is becoming more important now in the US as we speak. It might be compensations and benefits, but you need to build your skills as a professional. But also, and this has been my observation over time, learn how to manage project. Oftentimes, HR operates in a transactional way day to day. They're not great project leaders. And I think a lot of HR initiatives are run as projects. So you need to build that skill. It might sound basic, but this is a core skill. And now, more importantly, I'm going to quote our friend, great colleague, Mark Efron. He says, and I completely subscribe to that, become a business junkie. What he means by that, it's really for HR to know the business, to love the business, spend time in the field, spend time in plants with sales rep, with business leaders, understand the company strategy, the products, the services, visit R&D sites, operations, you name it, or meet analysts to understand the value creation of your company. And finally, I would say also stay up to date with technology. But the business focus, I think, is sometimes lacking. And that's my key advice for HR professionals, whether at the early stage of their career or later in their career. Claire, your thoughts? We were talking about this earlier. We talked about the basic must-haves. But there's a cherry on the cake that we, we really would encourage people to aspire to. And that is to be a courageous advocate. Be assertive or even aggressive, if necessary, in advancing a point of view on talent, independent of its popularity. We all know that HR and talent management haven't traditionally been given an equal seat at the table at the very top of organizations. That thankfully is changing. It is important to be willing and able to stand up for something that is crucial to the company's well-being with regard to people that in a way that even the finance or strategy people might not necessarily want to hear. But once again, it's back to integration. If a company's working well, then actually the need to be assertive and aggressive should go down because everybody's more willing to listen. But in the meantime, may well still be necessary to at least have the courage to stand up for what one believes in when it's necessary, if that's being pushed down. There's also this idea of if you have got this dream from when you're young about becoming an HR leader and you work through the traditional path to becoming a leader of HR, great. That's fantastic. And we've talked a lot about that. But don't forget the possibility that you might come to it later in your career. There's a big debate over whether it's a great idea to have non-HR leaders in HR roles at the top. We've written an article which we found fascinating, which looked at several business leaders who moved into HR and made a really good job of it, typically. The jury is still out as to whether it's absolutely a good thing or not, but there's nothing like making a crossover to keep people on their toes. We're fond of crossovers and transitions, as you know. Well, great advice. Be a courageous advocate. Be a business junkie. Project management, I think, is also a very underrated skill. So I think, Antoine, great, great pickup on mentioning that. My last question for you both. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? I would say HR is ever more critical to businesses and the individuals in them. 
despite AI at its ever accelerating arrival, if we don't put humans at the center of things, we are going to completely lose the plot. And all of those apocryphal stories that we're wondering about as we go to sleep at night will get more of a chance to become reality. My friends would be raise the bar. There are high expectations from all stakeholders in terms of what uh, HR can do. But I'm quite optimistic, and I believe that HR can elevate its game and really demonstrate its value. I really trust there's a, a world of opportunities for HR, and it's an exciting time to be in the HR function. Antoine, Claire, thank you so much for being on the Future of HR podcast. You have taught us a lot about disrupting your career, and it was a true pleasure to spend time with you today. Thanks for the invitation, JP. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Claire and Antoine for sharing their experiences and insights on the art and science of career management. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe, share a podcast with at least one other person, or even better, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Randy Patterson. He's the Managing Director of Human Capital in the Portfolio Operations Group at Blackstone. In this role, Randy and his team are focused on building and developing world-class leadership teams and organizations across the portfolio with the capabilities to create value and improve performance. More specifically, Randy oversees and supports all the CHROs across Blackstone's portfolio of 230-plus companies, which employs over 700,000 team members. And in my conversation with Randy, we go deep on private equity and what it's like and what it takes to be a CHRO with a PE-backed company. If you've ever worked in a PE-backed company or have ever thought about becoming a CHRO for a PE-backed company, this is one conversation you won't want to miss. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.